kingdom and nationalism. You kind of have these two kingdoms. And today, today is about kingdom. Today is about, we're looking at the kingdom of God. And Jesus here is ushering in a kingdom. It's going to look a lot different. And so when we're looking at kingdom here, I want you to see that Jesus' kingdom that he is bringing us is, is completely upside down. It's completely inside out. It seems completely backwards. It seems completely foreign to us. Because, you know, our, 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 just our natural going about belief is that there's many, many different kingdoms that exist throughout the whole world. There's many, many different kingdoms. But the truth that Jesus outlines is that there's really only two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of heaven, and it's the kingdom of this world. Those are really the only two kingdoms. In America, you may be pitched uh, uh, that there are Democrats and Republicans, and those are the two kingdoms. Here, it might be unionism and nationalism. Uh, but even if you look at kingdoms that are fighting one another, Russia and Ukraine, they're, they're at odds with one another. They're killing one another. But Jesus is actually saying all of these groups have a ton in common. They actually have a lot more in common than they do uh, with my kingdom. My kingdom is actually the one that's different. All the other kingdoms, they're all kind of similar. They're just different offshoots. They're different brands of the same kingdom of this earth. And so as we're going into these words today of Jesus, we, we first kind of have to build this foundational understanding. The kingdom that Jesus is creating and he has created, has different values, has different expectations, and it has different desires than the kingdom of this world. And so before we really dive into what those different values are, are in the Beatitudes, uh, let's just kind of, I just want to kind of set this up a little bit for us today just to make it easier for us to receive from. Um, so this portion of scripture is called the Beatitudes. It comes from the, uh, that, that word comes from the Latin word, which means blessed, and so it's a sermon that Jesus delivered, and there are a lot of similarities to another portion of Scripture found in Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Here in Luke, you only have four blessed R's, and in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, you have nine. And so basically, there's, there's kind of two systems of thought here. The first is that these were the same sermon, or that the other system of thought is that these were completely different sermons. Um, and so the first system of thought was basically, these are two, this was the same sermon, uh, Matthew was present, he was one of the disciples, Luke was a historian, and he, he kind of had his own sources that he went to, he went and found his own source and got his information, and he wrote basically what the person was saying down. And so that's kind of one kind of viewpoint. The other viewpoint, which is what I believe, is that these were actually different sermons that were taking place. Um, this is often called the Sermon on the Plain, um, not the airplane, obviously, the, the kind of the flat piece of land, um, in, the, in comparison to Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And these are, uh, the reason why I think this is a different sermon is because some of the language is a little bit different. Obviously, it's shorter. There's different things, uh, including verses 24 through 26 that go into the woes, uh, which we will get to in a moment. Uh, but there's something that happens, like as a pastor, when you preach, uh, when you preach, preach, preach over and over again, you, you find that you sometimes will use the same sermons. And it's not because necessarily they were really good, but that they really connected with the people, that people really gained from it. It was something that the people needed to hear. And so this is something, I believe, for us today, if Jesus is repeating himself, it's probably something that we kind of want to 
perk up our ears and listen to. This is probably something that we want to pay attention to because this is important for Jesus to repeat. This is, you know, because we learn by repetition. Like habits are formed by repetition. And so this is something that Jesus, I believe, wants us to, uh, to, to learn from and really meditate on. And so when Jesus goes into the, these blessed R's that we're about to get into, uh, he's not really talking about uh, blessing in the way that we might say, like, uh, a wish or a hope, uh, where we might say, you know, we pray blessings over this child, or we, 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 uh, this person is sick, we, we, uh, we ask that they would be blessed, that they would be healed. It's not that. What Jesus is actually getting to when he says blessed are, he's actually saying that this is a mark of their spirituality because they are children of the kingdom of God. And so as we, as we focus in now, let's look at verses 20 through 24 where he, uh, where he goes into this. He says, And he lifted up his uh, eyes to the, on his disciples and said, Bless, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in, in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And so, for those of us who are committed to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of Jesus, he says, These are the blessings that you will experience. But then he goes in verses 24 to 26 to the woes. And these are, these are kind of like warnings. These are, um, to use a better phrase, you're royally screwed if you, do, if you, if you kind of follow this, this lifestyle, if you follow this way of thinking. He says this, verses 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And so I just want us to notice that Jesus kind of gives these mirroring responses. For every blessing, there's a woe that kind of matches it perfectly. If you look at verse 20 there, it says, uh, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But then look at verse 24, it says, But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. And he does this for all of the blessing and woes. There's, there's, there's one that mirrors the one that he states as a blessing. The next one says, Bless, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. The woe says, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. The third one, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. The woe is, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And then the last beatitude says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their, prof- their fathers did to the prophets. And then the woe there is, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So it's, just, it's helpful for us as we're going through this, the, the scriptures here today to kind of see that blessing and woe, how they go together. And so I think that's how we're going to go through this today. Um, and as we're going through this, we see that first blessing. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What we see Jesus beginning to outline here is the, the products, the values 
the, the things that are important to those two kingdoms. And for the kingdom of this earth, the, king, uh, the kingdom of this world, that norm, that value is power. Uh, for the kingdom of God, it's weakness. And yes, it does, have, uh, it does have the rich and the poor. But money really is power. You understand that, right? The money is power. Um, for example, if you, if you are sick here and you, um, you need to go to the doctor, if you're poor, what are your options? You're dealing with, NH- you're dealing with the NHS, right? If you're wealthy... You have more options. You can go to the NHS if you want to, but you can also, if you don't want to have a, a 10-month waiting list or you know, wait a year on chemo, then you can try to get a private means. You can use your money to be that source of power that can get you the help that you need. Money is a way for you to have power. It always has been. And so as we're looking at this, um, you know, it, it seems to be on the surface that Jesus is saying you know, the materially poor uh, the people who don't have anything, the destitute, those are the ones who are going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And that the, the rich, um, you know, woe to them, they're going, they're going elsewhere. Um, and so they're going to hell. And so they're, they're a part of the kingdom of this earth. But is that what Jesus is saying here? Is that true? Uh, to that, I can give a very clear, uh, resounding maybe. Um, because in Scripture, like the rich have a tendency to to do, they, they do have a tendency to miss out on the kingdom of God. But you do have a handful of people who were wealthy, who were uh, able to see Jesus and understand who He was, and and be partakers of the kingdom of God. You have Lydia, who was a rich merchant. You have Nicodemus. You have Joseph of Arimathea. Um, you have all these people who are wealthy, and yet they are able to grasp onto the kingdom. Of God, but Jesus says, says elsewhere, and we'll get to this later in Luke 18. Jesus says how difficulty that the wealthy are going to have, the uphill battle that they're going to have. He says, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's an uphill battle for these people, and when wealth is a wealth is a feeling. If that makes sense. Wealth is a feeling. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very rich. That's not something I really feel. Um, but I looked it up online because everything online is true. And if you, if you make 20,000 pounds a year, you are in the top 5% of earners in the entire world. 20,000 pounds. And if you make 40,000 pounds a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Now, I may not feel rich, but my feelings don't matter because reality is that I'm better off than I thought I was. And so most of us in this room, just based on those numbers, are rich-ish compared to, to the rest of the world. And if Jesus is saying, woe to the rich, that should like pause us in our steps and let us think on this. And see how we might be influenced by the kingdom of this earth rather than the kingdom of this world. Because I don't think we often realize how heavily, we, how heavily influenced we truly are uh, by the kingdom of this earth. And why is this? Because wealth kind of gives us this 
predisposition that we are, that every need that we have can be solved through money. Because our reliance is on what we can acquire or what can be acquired through our hard work and determination rather than trusting daily on the provision of God. The poor kind of have an upper step on the ladder because they are in a place where they have no other option. They have to depend on God. Whereas the rich have a tendency to trust God when, when he's needed. But we, we can often kind of put him aside, put him on the, the sidelines. And so money can serve as a, kind of as a source of self-reliance. And self-reliance rather than a God-reliance is a major factor that hinders us from obeying and following Jesus. It's antithetical to the kingdom of God. That's the essence of what true faith really is, is reliance not on ourselves, but on God, on Christ, on his character, on his goodness. And then Jesus, what is his woe here? He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What, what is what is what is Jesus getting to with that? Uh, this week, I, uh, the boys, as we moved, uh, the boys had a need to get new mattresses. And so we, uh, we went to a furniture store, um, found a mattress we wanted that was you know, cheap. And uh, so we went in and we said, we want these two. And they said, great, um, you can bathe from here. Bad news is we don't have them here at this location. We have them in another location in Belfast. You'll have to go there. That's fine. Um, so they said, what we can do, we can go ahead and you can pay for it. You can pick them up there. So we did that. Um, we paid for it there. They gave us a receipt. And on the receipt, it said paid in full. She wrote her little signature on it. And then we took the receipt to the other factory, the, the other uh, store, rather. And, um, and then they gave us the mattresses. They saw that it was paid in full. And that was that. We got the mattresses, but it was paid in full. There was nothing else that we were going to get out of this agreement. They were not going to get anything out of this agreement Everything had been taken care of. There was nothing else that was going to happen now. And that's basically what Jesus is getting to. There's nothing else that's going to happen. Like the wealth that you're enjoying now, this is it. This is all you're going to be able to enjoy is this little tiny moment of your life. This will be it. You won't be able to enjoy the, the, the riches that could be stored in heaven. But Jesus to the poor is saying, yours is the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that one day it will be. He says that they can participate in the kingdom life of God now. And if you're struggling here today, if you're on that other side, if you're feeling powerless and destitute, you can rest in confidence in knowing that Jesus is with us. He's with us in these. The people that are really hopeless are the ones that are trusting in their material goods to bring them lasting joy. To them, Jesus is saying, woe to you. To, to the people who are um, reliant on their money as a source of security and power, Jesus is saying, woe to you. For those who are, uh, the ones that are hopeless are the ones who are taking advantage of others for gain. Woe to them, Jesus is saying. May those words never be said of us. Let us ponder that in our hearts. And then we go to the next kind of the blessing and woe here. It says this, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Um, we have these competing kingdoms here. For the kingdom of earth, we have power, as I mentioned earlier. The next 
uh, kind of norm and value of the kingdom of earth is comfort. It's comfort. And for those who belong to the kingdom of God, it's discomfort. Um, You know, if you've ever had like like a really, really good meal, right? I mean... In America, it'd be Thanksgiving, and here it'd be like Pancake Day or Christmas dinner or something. Like the best nap comes after that moment, right? You have the best, just enjoyable nap. Because full bellies, like you're comfortable, right? Unless you eat too much, then you're really uncomfortable. But if you eat that perfect amount, you're fully comfortable. There's this comfort that happens when your belly is full. And uh, the normal life, however, of the Christian is discomfort, I'll kind of explain this. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, who was a, like a philosopher, um, lived about 100 years ago, theologian, said this, uh, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, that they would be absurdly happy, and that they would be in constant trouble. The normal life of a Christian is getting into trouble, um, in one sense. Um, if we're living a life of comfort and ease, We truly haven't taken the teachings of Jesus to heart because if we are living a life of comfort, we will never share the gospel, we'll never plant churches, we will never care for the sick, we will never care for the refugee, we will never do anything right with our money, we will uh, never fight injustice. Citizens of the kingdom of God are willing to place themselves in uncomfortable situations for his name. And Jesus says that if we empty ourselves now, we are going to be filled. And if we fill ourselves now, we will find ourselves empty. Um, Even when we are in constant trouble, Jesus will sustain us. He'll be with us. Let's go to the next next, uh, kind of blessing and woe here. It's blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. When you have the competing kingdoms again, we have the kingdom of earth built on power and comfort. The next one is success. It's built on success. And the kingdom of God is often built on grief and sorrow. Uh, now, now, when Jesus is using the, the words laugh here, he's not, uh, he's not really like attacking a person having a good sense of humor. Uh, that's not really what he's getting at. In fact, in, you know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that there is a time to weep. There is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn. And there is a time to dance. And so I don't believe it's an assault on humor. I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. When Jesus is using the word laugh, what he's actually trying to get across is this kind of this idea of scoffing or gloating. Um, you might remember that phrase from a couple years ago that lasted for like a month. Drove me crazy. Hashtag winning. Um, it's, it's kind of that kind of aspect, that viewpoint. And it's, it's kind of like kids on the playground after they have just scored the goal and won the game and they're rubbing it in everyone's faces. Uh, it's the politician who, um, instead of like thanking his supporters and all that, he spends his time, ha <laughs> losers, y'all lost, I won. You know, it's kind of that mentality. And Jesus is stating here, like, if you're living the high life right now, you're actually going to find yourself, you're going to be the one on the, on the outside. You're going to be weeping. But if you're weeping right now, if you're mourning, if you're grieving, you get it. 
Because seeing all the things of this earth, this kingdom, this worldly kingdom right now, like it should cause us to mourn. It should cause us to grieve. Because you look at the kingdom of this world right now, I mean, how good is it really doing? It promises a lot, but it under-delivers. It promises power and comfort and success. But look at what it delivers. COVID, war, famine, racism, sectarianism, brother against brother, murder, sexual violence, earthquakes. Like, I could go on and on all day. It promises all these great things, but it's under-delivering. It's not, it's not living up to the hype. And so what we should be doing right now is actually being um, caught up in understanding and, and, and spending some time actually grieving for what is happening in our neighborhoods and grieving for what's happening in our city, in our country, in our world. It should uh, make our hearts swell with compassion. We should be praying for God's kingdom to come down to earth as Jesus encouraged us in the Lord's prayer. We should be doing that. And as we look at the last blessing and woe here, which says that, you know, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you. Um, as we look at those two competing kingdoms again, we see that power, comfort, success is marks of and values of the kingdom of this world. But the other one is popularity, respectability, notoriety. While the kingdom of God is exclusion, rejection, sometimes broken relationships, the values, the, the patterns, the products of these two kingdoms cannot be any more different. I mean, there's, there's tons of people that are hated and reviled and spurned um, because of their politics or because of their viewpoint on ethical decisions or because they're just jerks. Like, there's plenty of people who are rejected for that. You're not blessed for because of that, obviously. You're blessed because of your closeness and nearness to Jesus. When we can proclaim the truth and love and are rejected for it, Jesus says, that you are blessed. But he even goes a step further, and what does he say? He says that on that day when you're rejected, you can actually leap for joy because you're just like the prophets who were able to speak truth to power. You are just like the son who's being rejected. And, and Jesus says alternatively here, you know, woe to you when men speak well of you. Um. Let me ask this question. What do you have to do for everyone to like you? For if, if you walked into a room and everyone likes you all the time, and you only have popularity and friendship and, and just people want to swarm around you, most often the case is that you have to be constantly compromising. You have to be constantly compromising because if you're always making everyone happy, you constantly have to be changing to make that person happy. You're kind of like, uh, how many of you have seen the movie Encanto with uh, the little kid who's a, uh, a shapeshifter? Like he's constantly changing into who he is. Like you almost have to be that kid. You have to be constantly changing to make people like you. And so what ends up happening is we end up fearing men and what they think about us rather than fearing God and what he has to say about us. We're more concerned with being well-liked by others than being well-liked by God. 
And so that should concern us, you know, woe to us. We should be concerned with that. And to even drive this point further, Jesus says, you know, who does he compare these people to? For those who are rejected, you're like the prophets. For those who were, um, who, who, you know, were well-liked and adored, you're just like the false prophets. That should make us pause and think in ourselves, like, how, do we, how are we living our lives? Are we living as true participants in the kingdom of God? Because what often happens is we don't realize how much we are deeply influenced by the kingdom of this earth. You know, in, our, in, in the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of this world, your happiness is related to happenings. Everything is about chasing your happiness. You know, be the best you. In the kingdom of God, your joy is actually found in your relationship with Jesus. That's what brings you joy. Because when your happiness is based on happenings, it's going to be changing from one day to the next. But when your joy is found in Jesus Christ, it is steady and it is constant. When Jesus presents us again with these two kingdoms, again, we, we have to see how much as Christians, you know, we are supposed to be the participants of the kingdom of God, but oftentimes we are so heavily influenced by the kingdom of this earth that we lose sight. We, do, we don't even notice. And so we can follow Jesus. We can be involved in an MC. We can treat people with kindness. We can do, uh, we can do all of these great things and still have uh, an, an allegiance that is influenced heavily by the kingdom of this earth because it's so deceptive and it's so enticing that we can actually be mediocre citizens of both kingdoms, which Satan is completely fine with. But Jesus calls to be, us to be active participants in the kingdom of God. Um, you know, our natural desire our, our, is to be well-liked. It's to be successful. It is to be wealthy. It is to be comfortable. Those are those things. But when we become uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, it should cause us to um, challenge our allegiances. We almost have to pre-decide how we are going to live out our allegiance, our citizenship. Um, I'll give you an example. So let's say that there are two uh, women, and they work for the same company. And um, they're both Christians. And because of some things that are happening in their work setting, um, something significant has happened. Whereas if they tell the truth on a certain situation, they're going to be fired. They're going to be terminated. Uh, but if they lie, there's a, there's a good opportunity that they may be able to sneak through and be able to keep their jobs. Both are Christians. For the one person, they're going to lie. The other person, the other Christian woman is going to tell the truth. And both events show the reliance that is heavily in their, in their hearts regarding the kingdom. Because the first woman... She is fine with uh, making these small little decisions because she's she, like she wants. Why, why would she throw all this away that she has worked for? All these relationships, all of this money that she's able to get, all of this success that she's finding, and all this value she's finding in her job. Why would she throw that away? I'm fine with lying a little bit. That's that's understandable. But the other woman, she's fine completely. Uh, with telling the truth because she, um, 
she knows what kingdom that she wants to be a part of. She's fine with experiencing exclusion from her coworkers. She's fine with going through the discomfort of looking for another job because she's more concerned with the long-term effects of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Um, oftentimes what happens is that the, the allegiance to uh, the kingdom of earth will, will try to put a big God bow on this present and say, God wants you to have this. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be comfortable. Like You've earned this, and, and he owes you one because you're doing so much for him. He owes you this comfort. He owes you this. He wants you to be liked by all these people. He wants you to have a nice home that you can relax in and, and kind of get away from everything. He wants that for you. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. This is not what Jesus is saying. Um, we mustn't be deceived because it's so easy for us to be deceived in this regard. The last thing that I want us to kind of take a moment here and meditate on, the differences on the two kingdoms, and this is, in my opinion, the biggest difference that exists between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And that is perspective. Because for the kingdom of this earth, it's built on the now. Now is all that matters. This moment is all that matters. But for the kingdom of God, it's built on eternal perspective. And I'm going to do, never done a visual before, so this may completely flop. Um, but can I, get, can I get my lovely wife to be a helper for me? Can you, can you just grab that and just kind of walk, just walk to the door there? Just, yep, yep. We'll see how this, oh, yep, just keep going, keep going. Don't worry about me. This is not going to be bad at all. Okay, there we go. Yep, yep, just keep going, keep going, keep going. All right, so this right here is time, okay? This is time. So this is eternity. So this is like the Middle Ages and, yep, okay, this is, yep, so that's the beginning of time. It goes on, and then this is eternity. It just keeps going on up south, so it's going to keep going here. So on this rope for time is there's a tiny mark. You can't see it. It's somewhere along there. I made a little mark on it. And that represents your life. That tiny little mark is your life. And the events that you're going through today are, you can't even see it. You have to get out the microscope to look in that little stretch, that little line to see the little time of existence that you are in right now. And that is this moment that you're in. In the whole grand scheme of eternity, and that is what you're worried about in this moment. Whether you're going to be excluded and whether you're going to be going through a period of time of discomfort. But people who belong to the kingdom of God have an eternal perspective. We have to because we see the effects of all these things in the span of eternity. We're able to endure the moments that you're going through right now because we see it through the lens of eternity. Because if we only see it through the now then, thank you, Emily, you're good now. If, if, that's, if, if this is all you see it through is the now, then yes, of course, why would you not chase after power and wealth and comfort and success? Because if that is all that matters, then that's all you're going to get. But the kingdom of God is built differently. You can go and you can endure all the things that you're going through. You can experience moments of weakness and discomfort and grief 
and difficulty and rejection because at the end of the day, you see it from the lens of eternity. I'm reminded of uh, the words from 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for a eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If now is all that matters, chase after comfort. Chase after making a ton of money, but ultimately it's going to fade. It's going to be like beauty. You're beautiful today. Good luck 30 years from now. Uh, your money, your health, these are things that are passing. They're, they're just glimpses of what is to be. These are things that if you put all of your, your eggs in that basket, you are going to find out you are going to end up being disappointed. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't, like, I cannot stress that enough. We have to stop chasing after temporary things, friends. Because not everything that glitters is gold. And as, as we're kind of concluding today, I was just thinking on these, 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 these kind of these pillars of the kingdom. And if you look at it, man, why would I want to just, why would I choose you know, sorrow? And why would I choose rejection? Um, but we're offered these promises through the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, if you're feeling this powerlessness, it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For those of us who are going through discomfort, uh, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 1. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. If you're, if you're weeping and you're mourning, you're... You, May we be reminded of Revelation 21, 4 that says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And if we're going through moments where we are trying to do the right thing and we're being excluded for it, reminded of 1 Peter 2.10 that reminds us that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He has not excluded us. He has actually included us into his family. He's adopted us into his family. And so through the lens of eternity, let us see that. Let us see 2 Corinthians 4 again, that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that's how we can endure, friends. That's how we can endure, through, through understanding what Christ has done through the light of eternity. I, I just encourage you, I believe all of us want to live for the kingdom of God. I believe that's something that we all desire and we all would want. But we have to make that decision on the day-to-day, -day, the everyday life. Are we going to be influenced by the kingdom of this world and its promises, which are going to be found wanting 
Are we going to live for God and we're going to live for his kingdom? Are we going to live with that eternal perspective? Let's pray. Uh,